Hey, this is Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. Did you know that Drift is part of the just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I am aiming to change that. I want to highlight stories of underrepresented leaders and help change the face of corporate America. Once a month, you'll hear inspiring stories from other underrepresented leaders as we work to build our own American dream. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you get the new episodes when they drop. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at EliasT and subscribe to get quarterly updates at drift.com slash American dream. What a pleasure, Maria. Thank you so much for giving me uh, this time, you know, especially given how busy and how much work you have, how much responsibility. Es un placer increíble hablar con usted de nuevo and, um, and have you here. There's so many questions, so much I want to talk about, but I want to remind you why you're here. One, first of all, huge fan of yours. You're a great role model for me and for so many Hispanics, you know, in the United States. And so blown away, blown away that, we, that you can make this time. What I want to do, right? I'm a co-founder of Drift, Elias, and my dream is to document my American dream journey right, as an immigrant into this country. And I want to share as much information as possible that great mentors of mine did for me as I was going in my career. And so I want to bring your story so more people know about it and inspire many young people that are might be before college, in college, or starting their careers or later in their careers and see what someone like us, right, could do in early times as a woman, as a Latina, and how much you've been able to accomplish. So I want to be able to bring as much of that. Please bring your energy, bring your honesty, transparency, authenticity. Let's share with people because I want to help everybody grow and, and, and succeed in the United States, right? And in the whole world. Thank you. Muchas gracias, Elias. And thank you so much for the kind words. Such an honor to be here with you and to uh, be able to have this conversation. I just met you recently, not that long ago, but I'm so impressed with what you're doing, both professionally in terms of paying it forward to the community. I'm very impressed with what you're doing, and I'm here to, to help you with your mission. Thank you so much. I think my, one of my taglines, I, I say in, in, on LinkedIn, right? I said, I, I focus on people first, right? People mm-hmm. first, we build teams first, and then the company and the success follows, right? Without people, we're nothing. Yes. No, I mean, for people in technology like we are, right? It's amazing. And I still remember when I, it became evident early on in my career that the hard part was not, you know, the technology, but was the people, but it was also the most important part. Exactly. Because people, we invent the technology. Uh, Speaking of technology, right? You're an engineer, a very successful, a very accomplished engineer. And I think we share some of the stories, right? And, and really, one of the things that we want to highlight and frame the conversation is by saying, your journey from Puerto Rico, Cuba, Puerto Rico, and become an engineer, an ingeniera, and now, uh, you know, an executive, you know, at the biggest companies in the world, a board member. And so I want to share some of that journey because everybody has questions like, how do I do that? How did... How did Maria figured these things out. How did she make these choices to transition from one profession, career path to another? Let's talk about those things and maybe go back to the early days. So what made you um, go into engineering? 
Well, actually, that's a really interesting story and one that that is important for all of us because I wouldn't have been an engineer at all. As a matter of fact, when I was in high school, I had to graduate. I didn't even know exactly what I wanted to do. At that time, I thought maybe I'll go to math or, you know, be a But it was the professor that I had in high school, right? It was my math professor. And I said, I don't want to build houses. I just didn't even know that there were different types of engineers and that it was like I trusted that that professor and and went on to study engineering, right? And and it was like the best thing that ever happened, right? So it's kind of like it also taught me about how much of an influence we can have on others, right? When we take the time to coach and advise people that it's life changing, right? Changed my life. Just that that moment. I'm getting the goosebumps. My story is almost exactly the same. It's a little bit inverted. I, growing up in Nicaragua, I would see the construction in the neighborhood and I would hear the word ingeniero and those were civil engineers. So to me, engineer was the same thing. It's like, it's a construction person, right? But it, it felt better. You're, you're, you're designing, you're, you're managing the, the, the whole construction. And then it was later that I, I saw a brochure when I, when I lived in LA, when I was in seventh grade, that said computer science was computer engineering. And then a math teacher in high school did the same thing. I was in math competition. So it's like, it's the same thing, right? And, and you're right that we take for granted helping young people in, in high school or earlier on. And we do not know the impact that we can make. Look at your life and what you're accomplishing now because of people like that, right? It's unbelievable. And so now you get onto this path of engineering and, and you had some amazing opportunities, right? You go into AT&T. Tell me about that. You, you, you shared with me in our last meeting, right, that you were at a very, very special time at AT&T. What happened then? Well, you know, it was interesting because I joined AT&T Bell Labs out of school. I mean, I, I, my dream as a, as a kid was to be an astronaut, actually. But I did get this opportunity with, with AT&T Bell Labs to uh, they pay for my master's degree. So I decided to go in there, you know, got my master's degree and just became a researcher, you know, at the Bell Labs. was very, very technical for probably the first, yeah, I would say five years of my career. And that's when I just had that, that insight or transformation that I really enjoy building teams and, you know, putting teams together and Develop this fascination for people, right? And how you had to bring people together to achieve things that you wouldn't think were possible, right? So it was kind of an important transition for me at that time to just really start thinking about management and a different way to really be able to have an impact on the on the business. What was your biggest accomplishment there for you? Do you think um, that you were able to witness, participate, or or lead? I mean, at Bell Labs, we were building the the switches, I was on the computing side of the switch, but uh, really built the switches that, you know, the 5ESS and all the switches that today still switch a lot of the the phone calls, right, you know, around the world. And I learned a lot, you know, about that. After that, I moved to uh, to Motorola with a lot of the management team during the divestiture of AT&T, moved to Motorola to work on the cellular piece, right, which was uh, also, you could say, networking, but it was the, the transition from wireline to wireless. Right where we, um, you know, I joined Motorola in the days that you know cellular phones didn't exist. So 
it was fun to see, can you imagine a world without having your mobile phone, right? So probably most of you, you know, listen here, and you too, Elias, you know, you probably uh, weren't born then, you know, but uh, when that happened, but it was a really fascinating, you know, time, you know, my career to be able to participate in building the first, you know, the first uh, mobile systems and cellular launches around the world. I remember the the StarTac or something like that, right? Like, yeah. But that was not the first one, probably. But this is, I think I always, you know, the, the more I meet the people that paved the way, right? We, we say we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I, I got a chance at IBM to work with Tim Berners-Lee, you know, the inventor of the internet. And so it's like, which is after the cell phone, right? And, and like, to meet these people, I always kind of like reminisce, right? It's like, what a great, great eras, right? And like, that, that I missed them. But... I think we should always be looking forward to the errors that we can create and we should never lose hope, right? That we can still change the world. Question for you. And so then you go to Microsoft, what made you switch companies? You know, AT&T, Motorola kind of made sense, but going to Microsoft, that was like, how different was that? How radical of a change? How much of a, a risk you took to switch yeah. companies? Well, I must mention, by the way, because uh, it relates to you, actually, that before I went to Microsoft, I did a startup myself, okay? So I went to the Bay Area. That's what brought me from when I was in the Midwest to just went to the... That was a big, big risk, actually. Leave my job as a big executive at Motorola and then just say, I'm going to do this startup. You know, my family thought I was crazy. <laughs> they actually didn't come with me initially because I thought I was going to give up and go back. It took me a while to move them there, right? So... It was, uh, so that was a big risk. And I say, so it was the hardest job and the, the, but the most, the one that, that gave me the biggest experience because I was able to really have to run a company and be responsible for all these people, make sure that they got paid and, you know, had everything. So it was just like a, an amazing responsibility. It was a difficult time because it was the dot-com crash. It was 9-11 at that time. So we were on a third round of, of raising money which was fascinating to when Microsoft called me. It's interesting to see in the different moves of your career where sometimes you you consciously take a risk because you know you want to pursue some kind of dream uh, versus when you get approached, you know, okay, hey, here this is something completely different. I wasn't thinking about joining Microsoft, you know, at the time. They came after me, you know, pretty hard and they had a, a pretty interesting position. So at that time it was more about you know, just trying to explore something different, you know. I didn't think I was going to be Microsoft for the long term, but just the opportunity, honestly, at the time was to work very closely with Bill Gates, which was a fascinating experience, right? How can you say no to that, right? <laughs> okay, that, that, that makes it slightly different than, than a norm, like a normal call. Would you like to get a job at, at Microsoft versus come and work with Bill Gates? I think that I get it now, especially from the startup to after 9-11. I would have said yes, too, I think. <laughs> yeah. What is that like? One of my board members uh, was on a board with Bill, right? And so I hear a story here and there. I'm, uh, you know, it's like so distant for me. I watched the Bill Gates documentary. Blew my mind how much he reads. I'm now obsessed with reading and I have books everywhere. I like his tote bag that he takes to Think Week. So tell me, tell me something you you a special moment with Bill you that you'd had. You know, I have so many. I mean, I think just many of them, just brilliant moments. The guy's was just so brilliant. I mean, that 
takes a lot of, I would say, confidence to go against him. So I have a lot of memories of the probably all the times that he kind of beat me to uh, to the whole thinking process. And maybe the one time where I did beat him out of 100 or something. But but no, I mean, it was really fascinating. I've learned so much from working with great CEOs, to be honest. And, uh, and for him, you know, I think everybody knows about that one. I mean, for me, the, the moments that I probably remember the most is once a year, he took the top 100 vice presidents at Microsoft and we went into a retreat. It was the equivalent of the thing, but which was more about, you know, bringing things from the from the, the the people. But it was more about the executive team coming together, him doing that, brainstorming with everyone, and just really building the strategy for the company. Those were fascinating moments. Also, I remember the day that he told us he was leave my retire from his acting job. That was a, everybody cried. You can see a hundred vice presidents crying. That was interesting too. <laughs> Wow. Wow. What moments you share. And I'm just like, the more I think backwards and forwards from this moment on, you have worked with many, so many of the most historic CEOs in the history of business in the world. It's like, you know, I need to talk to you for, for weeks. Can I have you for one think week? <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Like, well, I'm not the brilliant, you know, I, I'm kind of a, uh... The one that if, I, if there's something I could just only the only I can take credit for is probably making the right choices along the way. Well, Most of the time, not always. <laughs> let me take the liberty of picking on Bill for a little bit. I, I would think that Bill has the idea and explains it, but he needs people like you to support the team and, and put the teams together to execute. Right. That That, that might not be his forte. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And he's surrounded himself with a lot of really really good talent. I mean, it was, uh, it's good to, uh, one of the criteria for me to make decisions to join places is actually the opportunity with work with a lot of people that are a lot smarter than I am, because that's really where the great things happen. And not only just that you surround the people, you figure out how to put them together, right, in a way, how to structure, in a way, I, I talk about architecting organizations many times. It's just one of the things, you don't have to do the execution, but how you put people, how you assign how to do, how you set priorities, you know, and guidance, you know, really is something I learned from Bill and others along the way. Wow. So it's like, how do we go from AT&T, Motorola, Bill Gates, and now Salesforce? You know, and obviously this one is so close to me, right? Because Benhoff is the, a role model. Like, uh, it's like that, the one that paved the way without me, I've never met him, right? And yet he has influenced so much of my career in the past 10, 12 years, right? It's like he is exactly who affects many of my daily decisions because I am in the sales, right? I'm building a Salesforce automation. He is there. I have him. It's like omnipresent. And you, you go there and you, he contacts you. Tell me more about this. Well, you know, he, he actually, I contacted him on this guy. Elias, uh, it was interesting because in a way, it's a well, you know. So I left Microsoft. I knew, like, I knew I wanted to get back to the Bay Area because I love the the energy and the technology in the Bay Area and the life, California. Just, I, I knew I wanted to come back. So when my daughter I, uh, was about to graduate from high school, I knew it was the right, right time for me to move. So I planned my my uh, retirement at the time. I thought I was going to retire potentially from Microsoft. <laughs> so. 
anyway, at that time, you know, when you announce that you're leaving in a role, like an executive role, you get a lot of calls from companies. And I was talking to a lot of different people. I knew I wanted to take some time off with my daughter and all that. But I did start talking to people. I was about to actually just even join a company when another person that gave me a, 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 an advice that I, I remember was that don't go where they want you, go where you want to go, right? So it shifted my mind from answering phone calls, you know, people that wanted me to join them, to thinking really hard. And I remember still that weekend where I just spent the whole weekend thinking about where would I want to go? I picked three companies at the time, which were Google, Amazon, and Salesforce. And people say, why Salesforce? At that time, Salesforce was a little company nobody knew about. Well, it was because it was the CRM system that I used when I was at the startup. And I had just like a handful of salespeople. That's all we had. And we bought our few life licenses from Salesforce and we used it. And, you know, I was fascinated by how that system worked and, you know, the cloud and how I just, where everything else we had servers and all that, we only had to buy the license and everybody was open. So I started, it always Salesforce stayed in my head as something that was an interesting thing for the future. Then I spent my seven years at Microsoft after that, right? And then it came back to my head, why not? And interesting at that time, Microsoft wasn't worried at all about Salesforce, right? Or it wasn't really present. I was there and we discussed potential other players in the marketplace. So I then approached those companies, right? So I approached Mark. I didn't know him. I just sent him an email and I said, Mark, and here's my story. I've been very impressed with your company, blah, blah, blah. Would you have some jobs for me? And then he replied to me the same day, okay? And he said, can you fly out here? I want to talk to you next week, okay? And he wanted to, you know, what he attracted him about me was that I was, I came from a large company that he respected. And so his whole thing was, I want people that have seen the movie of what it takes to run a large company. And I want that because I want to be a large company, right? I got fascinated by that. And, and just the other thing that attracted me, which brings me to the, what I'm doing right now at Cisco, right? Is, is that he said, I have one problem. This was in the late 2009, where they actually was, it, I keep thinking a lot about that given the current COVID situation. You know, it was in 2008, 2009, the last time that the economy and the recession and all that, well, it was during that time. And at that time, he was running this cloud SaaS company, right? And he was dealing with issues of attrition, churn, right? What we call churn in the SaaS world. And uh, he brought me over and he said, I want to, this is my biggest problem because right now, doing an economy situation like this, the most important thing is to keep your customers because your customers are the ones that you have to retain, right? So I came to Salesforce with that. He said, I'm going to put together a whole bunch of different things, but just coming over, we're going to figure it out. And that's, and I went to Salesforce that way, right? Yes. That course, you know, it just then propelled, you know, the next phase of my career around, you know, customer success. I mean, you're being so, so modest and humble, right? In my opinion, you basically, if Benhoff invented software as a service, you invented customer success for SaaS, right? I mean, it's like, at least I'm going to say that and I don't care who stops me, right? But you created that time, no? I think I share that with Mark. At the time, we went through different iterations of this. 
right? Like when I joined sales, we call customers for life. Well, it wasn't for my organizations and we came up with customer success, but Mark had the vision. So I definitely had to give him the credit. No, no, of course, of course. But executing, it's like 1% idea. It's like 99% sweat, right? And I think that that was you. That's what matters, right? And, and I think uh, as a founder, it's a, it's a thing that we, we have to do, right? We can, we can come up with ideas, but we need to have the right person to make it real, right? And, and, I, and I think you did that. And here I am, you know, uh, my journey right now. What's my number one priority during COVID? Churn, customers, retaining my customers. I'm hiring a chief customer officer. This is, I have a presentation today for a candidate. I live in this, and this is something that you created and defined. And um, I'm like blown away to be talking to the, one of the earliest pioneers of this space, right? So much to learn. Another thing I want to ask you, it's like, when was... So for people that might not know the story about Salesforce, the thing I know a little bit is that as Salesforce was scaling, right, there was this issue with reliability, right? And customers were hurting on that. And so like, and that's when uh, you guys invented trust. And, and, and that is one of the special things about Mark, that he has a point of view, right? It's not just about software, but it's about the 1%, right? It's one, one, one. It's about trust. Those are key things about him and about you. Were, were you around that time for trust? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's in reality, you know, because it was the burden of taking care of customers during these situations was mine, right? And my team and and having to do that. Yeah. It, it was like trust is, is a very interesting thing because clearly it really is all about customer focus. It's customer centricity. That is really what it's all about. And for different companies, it's going to be at different times. And if you think about Salesforce or Cisco or any of the great companies. I mean, when you think about the customer first, things happen. At that time was we were having, because of scale, because of the growth was so astronomical, the capacity, you couldn't keep up with the capacity. So that would create disruptions, you know, in the service. But when you're focused on the customer, you know that matters to the customers, you're listening to them. So you go and you fix it, right? And in that case it was not only fixing them, but the concept of trust had to do a lot with transparency, it's sharing with the customers at every point of time exactly where you sit. A lot of companies tend to hide this kind of thing, right? And the whole concept of transparency and trust was that which was a site on the internet where you could see exactly what the status of the system. So at the first time there was a dig not an outage, even a degradation, it, we would show it there. We weren't trying to hide it. We were just trying to show it. And be and engage our customers in doing that and learning so we could avoid them, right? And then that's how we build a much more and more robust and resilient system. There's an absolutely radical idea that to this day I struggle with it, right? Every every leader, it's like, do we want to show our failures and, and to the customers and risk? And it's like it's so radical and it's but it's so right to build trust. You have to be vulnerable. You have to show them and that they, they can count on you telling them the truth, right? Um, but everyone's yeah. always afraid of like, what happens if it fails and then they're going to cancel and they're going to leave, right? And that you guys did that. You know, I see Amazon doing it with AWS. I see many companies. I see products built all around this, right? To show this. And you guys pioneered that. So many things. I'm going to be cognizant of time and talk a little bit about you accomplished so much. You changed the industry. And then you had yet another bigger challenge, right? Cisco. Tell me more about it. What was that transition? Who called you? Did you call them instead this time? Did they call you? They called me this time. 
Uh, but it was interesting because I, I really, of course, wasn't looking at all to leave Salesforce. You know, I had perfect job and all that. It turns out that Cisco was one of our largest customers. When I got the call, you know, just the opportunity of, of meeting the CEO, of one of our largest customers, right? Why, why not? When I had the opportunity to meet Chuck, I mean, I said, wow, another great CEO I get the opportunity <laughs> to learn from, right? And what a difference. I mean, it's just like if you, you can just think about this, from Bill Gates to Mark Benioff to Chuck Robbins, so different, completely different, but so great in many different ways, right? One of the things that you work with your customers for them to implement the technology. So to me, the first thing it attracted me, I can now, all this amazing technology we build at Salesforce, I actually get to work with a company to implement it, right? To implement it well and to the maximum to realize the potential that I see in the technology. That was one of them. A great CEO, Chuck, where Chuck is a value-driven, people-oriented leader with some of the most amazing credibility in the industry that I've ever been, and a passion for social justice and equality and, you know, those kinds of things that just, so it was just a whole package, right? For me to just kind of put it all together in this phase of my career, which I, I should be retiring by now, but I keep going. It was just the perfect opportunity. The executive team, as you know, that Chuck has built, you know, just to give you an idea, 50% are women. I mean, it's just like an amazing leaders, right? Where do you see that? Where do you see that in, in the industry? The opportunity to, and of course, taking on one of the largest transformations in the industry. I mean, Cisco built the internet that we, as we know it. And now the internet needs to get rebuilt because as we go into the cloud and, you, you know, if it was one cloud, then you say, okay, it's one cloud, but now there's multi-cloud. How you put all that together, right? The whole wireless and all that, coming back to my roots of networking, which I started my career at Bell Labs. I mean, it was just like, you know, I couldn't say no to, although I just really was a hard thing to leave Salesforce for sure. You still have two more jobs at least to do, I feel like. You got, and <laughs> one is maybe you, maybe you uh, end up being CEO again. Uh, we'd love to see you in the big seat with all your experience and talent. We never know. Please don't. We don't get tired, right? I don't. I don't. We keep going. What? What else? And balancing that with helping the people and, and role modeling for others. I think there's so many questions I want to ask you, and I want to be cognizant of time, right? But I feel like a lot of people I ask on LinkedIn publicly for people. People want to know your routine. People want to know how do you make decisions? How do you do pro cons? But I kind of want to leave it as your story, because what I want is just people to be inspired and to research who you are and what you have accomplished. And just by seeing you in person saying, doing these things, that should open up all the avenues for them to want to accomplish something like that, like you have, right? And not necessarily give them the specific what time you wake up in the morning or what book did you read, but it's just, <laughs> they should aspire to be you, right? Uh, in many yeah. ways. I want to ask you, with the little bit of time we have left, I would say back to Hispanics, back to Latinx, back to uh, helping people that are like ours, women, Latinas, Latinos, right? And one of the things that, I, that I've been doing and I need encouragement, right, is that it's a, it's a very specific moment in time in our history that we can have the potential to make the biggest changes that, in, in the history of this country. And I'm trying every day to challenge the status quo, at least starting from my company, right? And doing things that are, are sometimes not heard of, right? Like, for example, I've seen instances, right, where I question 
performance plans. Every company has to manage performance. Every company has to manage underperformers. But very special to me is underrepresented people at Drift. And so when I seen some of that stuff, I question if we're making the right decisions throughout the org. And I've asked, you know, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not, but I just put it out there. Transparency, trust, right? It's like my intention is to help underrepresented people. And I have said in the company, if you put in an underrepresented person in, in, on a plan, I need to hear about it just to make sure that there's some transparency and accountability to managers to do the right thing and support equality. And I'm taking risks by that. And I'm wondering what if you were a CEO of Cisco, if you're starting a company from scratch, given your experience and your confidence and your boldness, what could we do different instead of this incremental changes in a chief diversity officer? How would we make this better? You know, what would you do if you get to start from scratch? One of the reasons, by the way, why I joined Cisco is because I felt that I have the perfect platform to be able to execute exactly what you're asking me at scale. And we are doing that at Cisco. There's no doubt about that. We're not perfect, right? I mean, but there's a reason why we were named the number one company in the world to work for, right? And I want everyone to research also what Cisco is doing in this domain, honestly, because we are trying to lead the way. Not everything is gonna is perfect, but you know, making sure that you are transparent on your numbers. A few companies, there's a, a good amount of tech companies that have signed up about being transparent. Transparency with the numbers, it takes a lot of courage, right? Because once you're transparent, you have to improve them, right? So okay. transparency with the numbers, I think it's super important. Programs that support a diverse workforce. And but more transparency in having the tough conversations. Okay. So for example, we've been having since the whole social injustice started to take place, since COVID started to take place, Chuck started to, to lead weekly calls with the entire company, in which you have not the whole company, but 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 people every week joining these calls to talk about these topics, bringing speakers in, having tough conversations, right? With a live chat, allowing people to express their opinions. And because we believe, I mean, I could, I mean, we could talk about this forever, by the way, Elias, but, you know, but one of the things that I, I tell you a couple of principles that I think ha have worked for me that are super important. One is a concept that we call proximity. And what that means is really having all the leaders in the company find someone that is different than who they are. So that's got to be part of the requirement. You got to find someone that is different than you, right? And then get proximate to them. So have a conversation that is not about business, but it is about, tell me about you. Tell me about your reality. Tell me about how you feel about working here. What an issue, you know, it's just to get to know. And that sensitizes us to the other person. And that starts with everything. If you are aware of something, you're going to pay attention to it, right? So you have to have programs. The other one is the one I sponsor the company, which is, uh, it's called the multiplier effect. I encourage everyone to go to the website and, and sign up to take the pledge for the multiplier effect. It's a sponsorship program, right? Which I think for leaders is one of the best things that you can do is to take on sponsoring someone that is diverse from you, you are, and helping them through their career and being there for them. So anyway, just a couple of ideas to leave you with, but absolutely, uh, very passionate absolutely. about the subject. So look forward to continuing the conversation. No, this is excellent. I think we're, we're close to time. I know it's hard when people ask you your story over and over, but I thank you so much for taking the time and 
I love the word. This is the first time I heard the word proximity, right? And 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 I totally agree with you, right? It's like that's kind of what I'm trying to do at scale. It's like I want to make myself available to as many people as possible to encourage them to to follow me, then like me follow you, right? And and so because we we want to we want to be inspired and we want to know that uh, we here can accomplish the American dream, right? And and, and do things like what you've done. Uh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias por su tiempo. Uh, qué honor de nuevo hablar con usted. Thanks for listening to The American Dream. Let me know what you thought of this episode by tweeting me at Elias T. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave a five-star review. Por favor. If you're looking for more leadership insights and stories like the ones you just heard, sign up for my series, The American Dream, at drift.com slash American-Dream. Every quarter, you'll learn how Drift is progressing towards our mission of remaking the face of corporate America. And you will get insights from amazing Latin American and entrepreneurs of color and leaders like Manny Medina of Outreach, Maria Martinez of Cisco, and many others, along with curated content, news, events, and ideas delivered straight to your inbox. Muchas gracias, and don't forget to sign up.